Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Rob. We're a writing team from New Jersey with a passion for film. An aggressive, all-consuming passion. Well, whenever we see a news article we find, like, insane, uh, immediately it's... How can we make a movie out of this? Every episode we read a crazy article from different sources and tumble down our own rabbit hole. Discussing cast, crew, and plot. And then we hash out a pitch for a feature film. So, join us as we BS about movies and ask the important question... What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? How's it going, everybody? Thanks for joining us, folks. We're back with another episode as ones as as we do as podcasters. We are here with more delectable film pitches for you to digest. So we're gonna get straight on into it because this one is a uh, this one's a doozy. And our first listener uh, recommendation. That it is. This lick, this lick, this listener recommendation comes directly from one Meg Foley, uh, the lovely Meg Foley. Remember, guys, if you do want to recommend us articles, send us articles, you can do that via either Twitter at WDYG Podcast, or you can do it through email, WDYGpodcast at gmail.com. Send us articles because this stuff is fun, especially with today's article. So, we're just going to get right into it. Today's article comes from the Smithsonian Magazine, uh, smithsonianmag.com. Again, will be linked in the article, um, in the description of the article below. Um, this one is entitled, The Man Who Wouldn't Die. <laughs> the plot to kill Michael Malloy for life insurance money seemed foolproof until the conspirators actually tried it. This one is a longer article, but I really don't want to miss out on anything, so I honestly might just read this straight through. It's it's a fascinating story, and it, it's, I mean, I don't know about you, but the first thing that came into my head was Rasputin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think they even mentioned the Rasputin fuck? in this article. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, completely. Um, so I'm, I'm going to actually just kind of read through this article, because I, I really don't want to miss anything. There's so much to it. Um, so here we go, folks. Hope you enjoy listening to audiobooks. The plot was conceived over a round of drinks. One afternoon in July of 1932, Francis Pasqua, Daniel Kreisberg, and Tony uh, Marino sat in Marino's eponymous speakeasy and raised their glasses, sealing their complicity, figuring the job was already half-finished. How difficult could it be to push Michael Malloy to drink himself to death? Every morning, the old man showed up at Marino's place in the Bronx and requested, quote, another morning's morning, if you don't mind, in his muddled brogue. Hours later, he would pass out on the floor. For a while, Marino had let Malloy drink on credit, but he no longer paid his tabs. Business, the saloon keeper confided to Pasqua and Kreisberg, is bad. Pasqua, 24, an undertaker by trade, eyed Malloy's slopping figure the glass of whiskey hoisted to his slack mouth. No one knew much about him, not even it seemed Malloy himself, other than that he had come from Ireland. He had no friends or family, no definitive date of birth, most guessed him to be about 60. No apparent trade or vocation beyond the occasional odd jobs, sweeping alleys or collecting garbage, happy to be paid in alcohol instead of money. He was, wrote the Daily Mirror, just part of the, quote, flotsam and jetsam in the swift current of underworld speakeasy life, those no longer responsible derelicts who stumble through the last days of their lives in a continual haze of bowery smoke, end quote, which is just a great quote, by the way. <laughs> <clears throat> Why don't you take out insurance on Malloy, Pasqua asked Marino that day, according to another contemporary newspaper report. I can take care of the rest. 
Marino paused because Pasqua knew he'd pulled off some such a scheme once before. The prior year, Marino, 27, had befriended a homeless woman named Mabel Carson and convinced her to take out a $2,000 life insurance policy, naming him as the beneficiary. One frigid night, he force-fed her alcohol, stripped off her clothing, doused the sheets and mattress with ice water, and pushed the bed beneath an open window. The medical examiner listed the cause of death as bronchial pneumonia, and Marino collected the money without incident. Marino nodded and motioned to Malloy, quote, He looks all in. He ain't got much longer to go anyhow. The stuff is getting him. He and Pasquad glanced over at Daniel Kreisberg, the 29-year-old grocer and father of three, would later say he participated for the sake of his family. He nodded and the gang set into motion a macabre in, uh, chain of events that would earn Michael Malloy cult immortality by proving him nearly immortal. Pasqua offered to do the legwork, paying an unnamed acquaintance to accompany him to meetings with insurance agents. This acquaintance called himself Nicholas Mellory and gave his occupation as florist, a detail that one of Pasqua's colleagues in the funeral business was willing to verify. It took Pasqua five months and a connection with an unscrupulous agent to secure three policies, all offering double indemnity on Nicholas Mellory's life, two with Prudential Life Insurance Company, and one with Metropolitan Life Insurance Company. Pasqua recruited Joseph Murphy, a bartender at Marino's, to identify the deceased as Michael Mallory and claim to be his next of kin and beneficiary. If all so his last name Malloy or Mallory? Malloy. I'm sorry. I read that wrong. The other guy's name is Mellory, the, the oh, fake name they gave. There yeah. it is. Thank you. <laughs> if all went as planned, Pasqua and his cohorts would split $3,576, about 54000 in today's dollars, after Michael Malloy died as uneventfully and anonymously as he had lived. The, quote, murder trust, as the press would call them, now included a few other Marino's regulars, including petty criminals John McNally, Edward the Tin, I'm sorry, Edward Tin Ear Smith, so-called even though his artificial ear was made of wax, tough Tony Bastone, and his slavish sidekick Joseph Maglione. One night in December 1932, they all gathered at the speakeasy to commence the killing of Michael Malloy. To Malloy's undisguised delight, Tony Marino granted him an open-ended tab, saying his competition from other saloons had forced him to ease the rules. No sooner did Malloy down a shot than Marino refilled his glass. Quote, Malloy had been a hard drinker all his life, one witness said, and he drank on and on. He drank until Marino's arm tired from holding the bottle. Remarkably, his breathing remained steady. His skin retained its normally ruddy tinge. Finally, he dragged a grungy sleeve across his mouth, thanked his host for the hospitality, and said he'd be back soon. Within 24 hours, he was. Malloy followed this pattern for three days, pausing only long enough to eat a complimentary sardine sandwich. Marino and his accomplices were at a loss. Maybe, they hoped, Malloy would choke on his own vomit or fall and slam his head. But on the fourth day, Malloy stumbled into the bar. Boy, he exclaimed, nodding at Marino, ain't I got a thirst. Tough Tony grew impatient, <laughs> suggesting someone simply shoot Malloy in the head. But Murphy recommended a more subtle solution, exchanging Malloy's whiskey and gin with shots of wood alcohol. Drinks containing just 4% wood alcohol could cause blindness, and by 1929, more than 50,000 people nationwide had died from the effects of impure alcohol. They would serve Malloy not shots tainted with wood alcohol, but wood alcohol straight up. 
Marino thought it a brilliant plan, declaring he would, quote, give all the drinks he wants and let him drink himself to death. Kreisberg allowed a rare display of enthusiasm. Yeah, he added, feed him wood alcohol cocktails and see what happens. Murphy bought a few 10-cent cans of wood alcohol at a nearby paint shop and carried them back in a brown paper bag. He served Malloy shots of cheap whiskey to get him feeling good and then made the switch. The gang watched. Wrapped as Malloy downed several shots and kept asking for more, displaying no physical symptoms other than those typical of inebriation. Quote, he didn't know that he was drinking, that what he was drinking was wood alcohol, reported the New York Evening Post. And what he didn't know apparently didn't hurt him. He drank all the wood alcohol he was given <laughs> and he came back for more. Night after night, the scene repeated itself with Malloy drinking shots of wood alcohol as fast as Murphy poured them until the night he crumbled without warning to the floor. The gang fell silent, staring at the jumbled heap by their feet. Pasquale knelt by Malloy's body, kneeling the, feeling the neck for a pulse, lowering his ear to the mouth. The man's breath was slow and labored. They decided to wait, watching the sluggish rise and fall of his chest any minute now. Finally, there was a long, jagged breath, the death rattle, but then Malloy began to snore. He awakened some hours later, rubbed his eyes, and said, Give me some of the old regular, me lad. <laughs> the plot to kill Michael Malloy was becoming cost prohibitive. The open bar tab, the cans of wood alcohol, and the monthly insurance premiums all added up. Marino fretted that his speakeasy would go bankrupt. Tough Tony once again advocated brute force, but Pasqua had another idea. Malloy had a well-known taste for seafood. Why not drop some oysters in denatured alcohol, let them soak for a few days, and serve them while Malloy was imbibed? Alcohol taken during a meal of oysters, Pasquale was quoted as saying, will almost invariably cause acute indigestion, for the oysters tend to remain preserved. As planned, Malloy ate them one by one, savoring each bite, and washed them down with wood alcohol. Marino, Pasquale, and the rest played... Oh, I don't know that word. P-I-N-O-C-H-L-E? Pinochle. Pinochle. Oh, that's a game, right? Yes. There we go. They played a game. Played Pinochle and waited, but Malloy merely licked his fingers and belched. At this point, killing Michael Malloy was just as much about pride as about a payoff. A payoff, they all griped, that would be split among too many conspirators. Murphy, Murphy tried next. He let a tin of sardines rot for several days, mixed in some shrapnel, slathered the concoction between pieces of bread, and served Malloy the sandwich. Any minute, they thought, the metal would start slashing through his organs. Instead, Malloy finished his tin sandwich and asked for another. <laughs> the gang called an emergency conference. They didn't know what to make of this Rasputin of the Bronx. Marino recalled the success with Mabel Carlson and suggested that they ice Malloy down and leave him outside overnight. That evening, Marino and Pasqua tossed Malloy into the back seat of Pasqua's roadster, drove in silence to Crotona Park, and lugged the unconscious man through heaps of snow. After depositing him on a park bench, they stripped off his shirt and dumped bottles of water on his chest and head. Malloy never stirred. When Marino arrived at his speakeasy the following day, he found Malloy's half-frozen form in the basement. Somehow, Malloy had trekked the half-mile back and persuaded Murphy to let him in. When he came to, he complained of a wee chill. 
February neared. Another insurance payment was due. One of the gang, John McNally, wanted to run Malloy over with a car. Tinier Smith was skeptical, but Marino, Pesqua, Murphy, and Kreisberg were intrigued. John Maglioni offered the services of a cab driver friend named Harry Green, whose cut from the insurance money would total $150. They all piled into Green's cab, a drunken Malloy strewn across their feet. Green drove a few blocks and stopped. Bastone and Murphy dragged Malloy down the road, holding him up crucifixion-style by his outstretched arms. Green gunned the engine. Everyone embraced... Sorry, everyone braced, not embraced. Big difference there. <laughs> everyone braced. From the corner of his eye, Maglione saw a quick flash of light. Stop, he yelled. The cab lurched to a halt. Green determined it had just been a woman turning on the light in her room, and he prepared for another go. Malloy managed to leap out of the way, not once, but twice. On the third attempt, Green raced towards Malloy at 50 miles per hour. Maglione watched through splayed fingers, with every second Malloy loomed larger through the windshield. Two thuds, one loud and one soft, the body against the hood and then dropping to the ground. For good measure, Green backed up over him. The gang was confident Malloy was dead, but a passing car scared them from the scene before they could confirm. It fell to Joseph Murphy, who had been cast as Nicholas Mellory's brother, to call morgues and hospitals in an attempt to locate his missing sibling. No one had any information, nor were there any reports of a fatal accident in the newspapers. Five days later, as Pasquale plotted to kill another anonymous drunk, any anonymous drunk, and pass him off as Nicholas Mellory, the door to Marino's speakeasy swung open and in limped a battered, bandaged Michael Malloy, looking only slightly worse than usual. His greeting? I sure am dying for a drink. What a story he had to tell. What he could remember of it anyway. He recalled the taste of whiskey, the cold slap of night air, the glare of rushing lights, then blackness. Next thing he knew, he woke up in a warm bed at Fordham Hospital and wanted only to get back to the bar. On February 21st, 1933, seven months after the murder trust first convened, Michael Malloy finally died in a tenement near 168th Street, less than a mile from Marino's speakeasy. A rubber tube ran from a gaslight fixture to his mouth, and a towel was wrapped tightly around his face. Dr. Frank Menzella, a friend of Pasqua's, filled a phony death certificate citing lobar pneumonia as the cause. The gang received only $800 from Metropolitan. Metropolitan Life Insurance Company. Murphy and Marino each spent their share on a new suit. Pasqua arrived at the Prudential office confident he would collect the money from the other two poli policies, but the agent surprised him with a question. When can I see the body? Pasqua replied that he was already buried. An investigation ensued, everyone began talking, and everyone eventually faced charges. Frank Pasqua, Tony Marino, Daniel Kreisberg and Joseph Murphy were tried and convicted of first-degree murder. Perhaps, one reporter mused, the grinning ghost of Mike Malloy was present in the Bronx County Courthouse. <laughs> the charter members of the murder trust were sent to the electric chair at Sing Sing, which killed them all on the very first try. That is the whole article. Um, this is written by a Karen Abbott, again from smithsonianmag.com. We will be linking this in the article as always. But that's that's the story of Michael Malloy, the 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 Irish slash American Rasputin of the 1930s. <laughs> that's a hell of a journey. I I don't know what else to say. I mean, they 
They they force fed him alcohol. They force fed him wood alcohol, which is not for drinking. They poisoned him with rotten sardines and shrapnel. They left him to freeze to death naked in the park in winter. They hit him with a car twice. And finally, seven months later, they actually poisoned him with gas. And that finally killed him. And I'm not even sure I believe that. (laughs) After all, they didn't produce the body. He might still be alive today. (laughs) Man, this this is wacky. I mean, the plot is is pretty much all there. It's right. Um, yeah. But well, I guess all I gotta say is, Nick, do you got? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, I do got. Um, but what I do have is that story. Usually, when we pick articles, sometimes we'll change the setting, or sometimes we'll we'll fix around some characters, or we'll use one piece and go off of that to ooh. I just knocked into the table. Uh, we'll use one piece and go off of that into our own story, which is kind of what we did last time with the New Orleans story. We took that cemetery article and we kind of just used it as a a gateway to create something. This one, it's all here. We have a movie. It's it's mm-hmm. right there. It hasn't been made yet, and I God knows why. Uh, so my director of choice is Guy Ritchie. Ooh. Uh, my cast, I've chosen Mike Malloy, Frank Pasqua, Tony Marino, Daniel Kreisberg, and Joseph Murphy. So the four main guys who tried to kill Malloy and Malloy himself. Malloy, I have cast Pierce Brosnan. Hey. Uh, and the rest of my cast is also UK actors. Well, Pierce doesn't get to be Irish a lot, which is strange considering <laughs> he, he's from North Ireland. Yeah, so. <laughs> he doesn't. The last time or one of the only times I've ever seen him be able to do it is, uh, what was it called? The Foreigner with Jackie Chan? Is that what it was called? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't yeah. see that movie, but I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, he, he was able to use his own accent there, and he's awesome, and I would love to see him play a sloshed-up drunk dude. Um, for the rest of my cast, Frank Pasqua, I got Jason Statham. Tony Marino, I got Colin Farrell. Daniel Kreisberg, I got Tom Hardy. And Joseph Murphy, I got Gerard Butler. Ooh, so I've got a bunch of UK actors here that I want to use. And this is literally, this is Snatch. This is Lockstock Smoke and Barrels. This is is Guy Ritchie galore. Um, I want the plans. I want the mishaps. I want the quick cuts and the action and the comedy. And, uh, I mean, that's that's my movie. It's written, so that's just Mm -hmm. my cast. Um, In terms of titles, I came up with three. The obvious title is The Murder Trust which is the, the name that they gave the group of four. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other two titles I came up with, which I actually don't mind, are Legal Limit and Raise a Glass. Hmm. Uh, but those are my three titles. That's my cast. That's my director. And the movie's already written. So, Rob, what do you got? <clears throat> so, uh, like you said, there's a full story here. There's an arc. There's character. There's, there's a, a great uh, buildup and ending. So most of the story is written. Um, I took a similar approach to you in that you know, obviously you have to do this as a a, a dark humored black comedy film, mm-hmm. uh, which Nick and I are huge fans of the writing of John Cleese, so we love doing black humor as much mm-hmm. as possible. Um, uh, following that note, I do I do actually have a bit of plot contrivance I want to do with this, but uh, my director is David Sandberg. Okay. Or, David F. Sandberg. I don't know what he usually goes by. <laughs> uh, probably most famously for Shazam, but he's also done some really great horror movie uh, stuff. So that's kind of what I was thinking was those two ideas that he can combine pretty well. Okay. Uh, my cast. Let me open up my brand new note application on my oh. phone. Oh. Because the Samsung Notes app is a utter failure. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, so I shortened my cast down to three conspirators instead of four. Okay. Uh, as Marino, the owner of the bar, Jake Gyllenhaal. 
nice. uh, as Pasqua, the uh, Undertaker, Adam Driver. As Christberg, the grocer of the family who gets involved with this, uh, Shia LaBeouf. Uh, and as Mike Malloy, uh, Brandon Gleason. Dude, that is so funny because I was between Pierce Brosnan and Brendan Gleeson for Mike Malloy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a definite reason I went with Brendan Gleeson. And um, I'll, I'll get to what I want to do at the end in a sec. But I think in terms of uh, adapting this to film, we have the almost a full film structure in the article. I do want to do a bit more to build up the characters of the uh, conspirators. Okay. Uh, so at the beginning of the film, I'd like there to be more of... Why these guys would, you know, begin to essentially habitually take out insurance policies and kill people. Absolutely. At yeah. this point, they're working, you know, this is their second or third, uh, and they're definitely going to do it again. You yeah. can clearly tell. So I'd like to see that the speakeasy is not doing well. Yeah. It's attracting a lot of bums like Malloy. Uh, there are other better places in town uh, to go for your illegal hooch. Um, so that's that's a reason that Moreno gets into it. That's pretty easy to convey. Um, I haven't really been able to come up with a very good reason for Pasqua the Undertaker to get involved, mm-hmm. other than once I cast Adam Driver, I said, he's just a morbid weirdo. <laughs> and, like, he really, really enjoys essentially creating business for himself. Yeah. Uh, and for the Christberg character, you know, he's like, well, I got involved because I got kids. And I'm like, okay, that's a very easy, you know, way to have at least one of these guys be slightly less of a monster. Yeah, and, and more, then he's and, just looking for a bit of money for And his he's family. on the fence, and he, yeah. there's the moral uh, conundrum. It's easy to start down a very slippery slope. And, then, you know, he's going to die anyway. You know, yeah. it, they talk him into it. Um, and I just love the idea of Brendan Gleeson getting drunk at the bar every day. Which is but, basically his character in Mr. Mercedes, because that's definitely what Detective Hodges is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Mercedes is fucking excellent. Yes, that uh, is my favorite book trilogy. It's it, it's also interesting to see, I'm not sure exactly what the word is, a completely separate Stephen King universes in, yeah. in film and television that have these same characters that aren't intersecting, like yeah. they did Mr. Mercedes, and they did The, the, the Outsider. Mm-hmm. Which notably has a character from that in it who is completely unrelated. Holly Gibney, the yep. greatest character that Stephen King has ever written. Yeah. Uh, so we have two Holly Gibneys. Yeah. Which is pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Uh, but uh, back on track, essentially, once we get to the end of the film, I do want to go off the rails a little bit. Okay. Um, and turn this into one of my favorite tropes. Um, in that there's a reason Mike Malloy is not dying. Uh, Mike Malloy is the devil. <laughs> Um, who is, who, <laughs> I want to have like a really big monologue for Brendan Gleeson at the end of this, uh, before they're all arrested and like Mike has, you know, died yeah. and he's back at the bar drinking again and they're all losing their fucking minds. He says, you know, I didn't actually come here for your souls. I'm kind of on vacation. I've never gotten to live as drunk before. And by fucking God, you all talked yourselves right into it, didn't you? Uh, which is my big reveal of the film. I like, like the idea. He didn't come here specifically to yeah. take their souls. They just kind of roped him into it. I like the idea of him being like, I didn't come here for your souls, but I'm fucking taking them now. <laughs> yeah. You signed him over multiple times. <laughs> so, yeah, I, ha- I have an idea for that to be this is big grand like bar speech by him, and then they all get arrested and thrown in the fucking chair. I love it. Yeah, and he's got them. Like That's great. I, I've never seen the movie where people like lose their souls. Without like making a deal or like knowing, like well, because because basically what's happening for these for these I want to say characters, but these people throughout throughout this entire story, 
they are literally just like getting worse and worse and more depraved and more mm-hmm. desperate. And at, at like the article said, at some point, it's just a matter of pride. Like, why can't I kill this man? Mm-hmm. It's not even about the policy anymore. It's just about like I I have to I have to be able to kill this guy. Mm-hmm. It's a sixty year old Irish man who's drunk more than anybody I've ever met. Yeah, I actually I wrote down a line for him to say, uh, it's um. Uh, your boy's after my own heart, but you brought work into my vacation. Ooh. <laughs> I love it. This is, I'm like, ah, I don't want to kill Brendan Gleeson for real. <laughs> uh, and that's essentially, yeah, the arc I want to take with it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I like it. I mean, we, yeah, there's, we can build off of the ending there. Cause I want to see, I want to see how we can really get it to end. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm thinking if we do go that route, we take it away from the realism and we, we don't have them get arrested or something. Maybe <laughs> he starts torturing them in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, that could possibly end with them in the electric chair at the end and him kind of just sitting there watching. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's literally got like a bucket of popcorn and he's over in the corner. <laughs> no one else can see him. But he's just watching them smoke up. Good old thing thing. <laughs> um, I, I th- Oh, man. This is tough because I badly want to see Pierce Brosnan play a drunken Irishman um, because he's an Irishman. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like I've seen Brendan Gleeson play the character. So I want to fight for Pierce Brosnan in the role. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure. What do you think? Hmm. I mean, I feel like it's a role, not exactly, but we've seen Brendan Gleeson play similar. And I feel like we've won offhand, but I'm sure it's out there. I mean, the only thing I'm thinking of is is Detective Hodges. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he's not like a – I mean, yeah, he's a drunk, but he's not like a sloppy mess of a person. Uh, it's those just those old, old school re- drunks, man. Yeah, I mean, he's an old retired detective, you know, doesn't really take mm-hmm. care of himself. I'm um, told that my, my great-grandfather used to spend, all like, all day in a bar. Um, and essentially, like, the only source of nutrition he had was – was beer, whiskey, and pickled eggs. You know, they would just have jars of pickled eggs out yeah. in Bart. Like, imagine surviving on that. Like, Seriously. that's all you do. Yeah, because at some point, your body's just got to get used to it. That's probably why he was able, able to eat sardines and shrapnel. Yeah. I, people have got to be like genetic freaks in that case. This, yeah. like, this, this Malloy guy, I mean, that yeah. sheer amount of poison yeah. and whiskey, he, the liver of a champion, the liver of a true champion. I mean, literally, the article says 4% wood alcohol can make you blind. He was drinking 100% yep. shot after shot after shot after shot for days. Yeah. It almost reminds me, like, you can get that, uh, what's it called, uh, ethyl alcohol for, like, cleaning things, yeah. uh, you know, because it doesn't uh, condense or, or, or create wetness, and they have to add... Um, a bittering agent to it because yeah. you, you can drink it. Yeah. And then just from there, thinking that there's a kind of alcohol that you really, really can't drink, that's, it sounds like, you know, wood alcohol, it must be for stripping varnish off of furniture. Yeah. Or something. They said they got it to the, from the paint store. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Imagine the taste. Yeah. I can <laughs> taste it right now and I don't like it, Nick. I don't like it. I got to put some lemon in my water. I taste or lead. Um, Okay, so I'm fine doing the three characters because I think four is a total number that's mm-hmm. that's good with this with this cast. So let's see. Um, are you are you dead set on Brendan Gleeson? I could be I could be persuaded for 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 Pierce Brosnan. Um, I think I mean I f- I feel like Brendan Gleeson is more inclined to do it humorously. True. Um. 
Then again, you know, I've seen like The Matador with Pierce Brosnan, and it's that's a good dark humor comedy. The Matador, and also, um, oh, uh, is it after after the sunset? Is that the one he did? Was it Don Cheadle? It was a real. It was a really good heist movie that takes place in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. I think it's called After the Sunset. Um, but he's got mm-hmm. some really good comedy chops in that too. Um, I think. I think I would be okay with Pierce Brosnan, just if he becomes very more refined once he makes the the reveal. Well, so that's that's the thing I like because if we can dress him up in you know sloppy outfits and mm-hmm. give him like the completely you know his hair is completely. Kempton, yeah, and then his beard, larger and stuff. beard, and then all of a sudden, because it's Pierce Brosnan and he's beautiful, yeah, when we reveal that he is the devil, mm-hmm. he's just this suave James Bond, mm-hmm. you know, he's in the tux and his beard is like perfectly, perfectly kept, yeah. the the little twirl of the mustache, yeah, yep. Now I'm sold. Now I'm yeah. sold on Pierce. <laughs> so so I'm okay. Yay. Um. So we're good with that. Um. Who were your three again? Uh, Hall as the bar owner, uh, Driver as the undertaker, and Shia as the, uh, grocer. Okay, I'm 100% behind Hall because he is my favorite actor. I'm a little offended in myself that you cast him before I did on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, 100% for Hall. Um, so we got Adam Driver, and we've got, I'm sorry, who was the other? Uh, Shia. Shia LaBeouf. Shia would be great to play the crazy, so yeah, I'm in with Shia. Um, but I would like to bring in Colin Farrell or Jason Statham. Okay, we can bump the cast back up to four. There's really no reason not to. Well, I'm saying we don't have to use uh, both Adam Driver and Shia, or we can do up to four if you want. I mean, if we're going to have a character named Murphy, it might as well be Colin Farrell. <laughs> All right. So, so yeah, I'm, why not? <laughs> so I'm good with that. Spe- uh, by the way, speaking of Jake Gyllenhaal, I gotta I gotta make an aside for this because we talk about Denny Villeneuve a lot. Yeah, um, I've been trying to work my way through the entire catalog of of Denny Villeneuve films. Um, Amazing. In anticipation of Dune, this is there are a couple I haven't seen. Um, I saw this movie called Enemy. Yes, I haven't um, watched that one yet, and I need to. I. It's not really a scary movie. I have never been so utterly terrified by the ending of a film in my life. Really? I actually had to leave the room and go hide in the bathroom. Um, the instant the film ended, because I had like a mild panic attack. Yeah, I need to watch Enemy. Um, that, and in in terms of Gyllenhaal, uh, I also haven't seen it, but I want to. Velvet Buzzsaw is supposed to be fantastic. I've heard too. good things. I haven't seen it. Yeah, he but yeah, is... Enemy, um... Uh, ha ha. <laughs> Like, I could I could do an entire podcast on Denis and Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Like Gyllenhaal so, is my favorite actor. I think he is great. absolutely fantastic. He's great, and I'm um, glad we finally got him in a movie here. Yeah. Um. So so we're gonna go with Brosnan. We're gonna go with Farrell Labouf. Uh. We're gonna go with Gyllenhaal, and I guess we'll pull an Adam Driver too. Yeah. The the four the four conspirators were at. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Adam Driver. And now we should probably. So what uh, I can't remember Murphy offhand from the article. What was his his background? Um, is it a, a Marino owned the bar? Pasquale was an undertaker. Uh, and and uh, uh, fuck, Christberg was a, a green grocer they knew. Yeah, who but was I there? don't remember how Murphy got involved. Had the kids. Uh, Murphy was. Uh, he was a bartender at the bar. Oh, okay. So he worked there. All right. So they 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 used Murphy. Uh, as the next of kin for the fake person right, of Nicholas right, right. Mallory. 
So he was supposed to be yeah. the next of kin being like, do, oh my God, fuck, my dad. Yeah, what the fuck do I have to be the next kin for? Is it yeah. the accent? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it because I'm fucking Irish? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's your striking good looks. Yes, it's because you're Irish, you dumb fucking dick. <laughs> Although, that is also another thing I absolutely adore Colin Farrell for, putting on the prosthetics to play not only Penguin, but the horrible boss's character, too. Oh, God, when he had, like, the belly and the... The, the belly and the, the balding and the comb over. Yeah. and I, I love when he gets out of his element like that, because he's so good. Um, or or even the lobster. You know, he, he just put on the weight for the lobster and stuff, and that movie is amazing. I don't remember him being, like... Hmm. He had a big gut for that movie. It's just because, like, the, the only scene I can picture in my head right now is when they're stalking around the forest and he was wearing, yeah. like, an overcoat and stuff. Yeah, so that's yeah, probably yeah. why that I can't see it. Much. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so now the question is do we go with Driver? Or do we go with uh, David? I'm Driver. Uh, Guy Ritchie? Or do we go with uh, Sandberg? Hmm. I mean, uh, I think, yeah, since we can't really talk at length about plot. Yeah. Um, I think tone. In its specifics is probably probably the main kind of hurdle we have to get over. Yeah. Uh, in terms of how comedic is it, how quick is the pacing? Um, because I, Guy Ritchie has a a very quick tempo to his films. He does. Um, you know, is is the humor very very black, or is it? Um, sort of unabashedly just over the top because they keep trying to kill this guy and failing. Yeah. Which are, are two different directions. So I think, yeah, what do, what, what do you see for the tone? I, I really do see, like, lock, stock and snatch and things like that where it's kind of these characters just doing their every possible chance mm-hmm. to kill this guy and and he's just, he's just not letting it happen. In a mm-hmm. way, I kind of see... Mike Malloy as sort of Brad Pitt's character in Snatch, the the <laughs> the, the the boxer. Um, what well, if I would take like, caravan? It's kind of fucking whales. <laughs> it's not for me. It's for me, Ma. <laughs> for your what? Me, Ma. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, by the way, Brad fought hard for that role because originally Guy Ritchie wanted someone much bigger, mm-hmm. but Brad was like, "No, I want this role." So he like worked really hard to to get him to agree to cast him. <laughs> um, but I, I see him sort of as that, where it's like. It's just impossible. Like they yeah. can try as many times as they want. They can tell him to take a fall, but he doesn't go down, and yep. he just one shot kill. You know? Yeah, I think. I mean, a question that we have to answer is: How much comedy are we essentially adding to this, or do we let the story stand on its own? Like, you know, I remember somebody told me a great story when they were um, in rehearsals for the musical Spam a lot. Um, somebody was, was being very over the top and trying to get laughs as a certain character. And Mike Nichols, the director stood up and said, stop it. You're not funny. The material is funny. (laughs) That's (laughs) fantastic. That sticks in my head a lot, especially coming from Mike Nichols. That's great. He would know. (laughs) Um, that does make a lot of sense. I get where you're coming from. I think, well, so, you know. Guy Ritchie has done a lot of action-based stuff and a little bit of drama. Um, But, like, I'm thinking in terms of, like, even Sherlock or anything like that. Um, A lot of that stuff isn't as funny. But maybe you're right with Sandberg just because, like, Lights Out and Annabelle Creation, Mm -hmm. those have great slow paces to them. I do think as a director he's, he's better at creating a certain sense of mood. Yeah. 
Um, but also I just love the idea of, like you said, it's, it's not them being funny. It's just the material. And, and we definitely do want that dark humor, mm-hmm. you know? So I think we can get some of that with Sandberg better. So I'm good with going with him okay. because that dark humor is, that's gotta be the the selling point, you know, yeah. like it's gotta be very much, um, Oh no. What's the name of it? Uh, even though this was more slapstick, uh, Andy Circus and Simon Pegg, they play the uh, Grave Diggers. Oh grave yeah, robbers. I know that movie. Um, uh, Burke and Hare. Burke and Hare. Yeah. Um, which which was again way Great more slapstick. Story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was again way more slapstick, but it does have that dark humor to it. And again, like you said, we're big fans of John Cleese. I think that kind of style um, can lead itself very well in terms of. The dialogue is going to be hilarious because of the frustration that these characters are having trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. But you're just like watching this character of Malloy just being like, just getting up and getting up. And it's just like, man, this is funny. They are really torturing this guy. Yeah. You know, like. And he's not just, he's not only like taking it and surviving it, but he's, from his perspective, he's having a great fucking time. Yeah. He's literally like, what else you got? Yeah. You know? And I, I think there's a fun way that we can hint yet keep it hidden that he is not human, yeah. that he is the devil. Um, I mean, just the notion that he's not dying yeah. is a strong that right there, yeah. We as can long as add... we make it very clear, like, you know, we have to have someone in, somebody describe, I don't know, probably a shyest character or something doesn't understand like why wood alcohol is a bad thing. Yeah. And then we can sort of like intersperse like a, a flashback story of no. somebody, you know, taking a swig of it because he, he couldn't find anything else to drink. I have an idea actually, instead of that, he's trying to figure out why it's a bad thing. Like he doesn't understand. He doesn't get the science behind it. Mm-hmm. And like maybe, uh, uh, um, which one do we have as, uh, as, uh, the owner of the bar? Uh, that was Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal is getting fed up with trying to explain it to him. So he pours one shot of wood alcohol, leaves it on the counter of the bar. Someone picks it up, grabs it, and just dies. Just yeah, falls some other fucking derelict. <laughs> oh, That's you're why. getting a bit dark in here, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's why wood alcohol is dangerous. And that is what should be happening to this motherfucker. <laughs> mm, good one. <laughs> Another one, barkeep. <laughs> Oh, and then yeah, Shia too. at that point is just like, okay, I get it. Yeah, right, I get it. <laughs> well, I don't get it, but I understand what we're going for now. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just like pull this one body out of the bar and just put him in like the back. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I'm now just imagining, you know, because the one, the one part of this that is not described in detail in the article is is the, the process of killing Malloy finally. With oh, the, the last, uh, yeah. With the, uh, you know, pumping... Yeah, pumping gas into his mouth and wrapping his head in a towel. Yeah, so I imagine I imagine that scene that we can have a bit more wiggle room with, because uh, they don't, you know, it's just like all right, two of them are gonna sit on him while he's sleeping and just shove a hose in his mouth and yeah. wrap him in a towel, and then it's just kind of like, well, it's done. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what to do with myself now. This has been a year of my life. Yeah, you know what would be a really great reveal? They do that. They have that moment where they're like, it's done. This We've been doing this for almost a year. I don't know what to do. They're sitting there in silence. They all get up to leave the apartment. As they open the door to leave the apartment, outside is Pierce Brosnan standing there in, like, a good suit. 
So they open the door to leave the apartment. They walk down the stairs uh, over the building, and they open the door, the front door, and step out right back into the bar. Ooh, I like it. And Pierce is sitting there in in better fashion, pouring himself a drink. Yeah, smoking a pipe. <sighs> well, I couldn't just brush that one off. <laughs> you know, he shoved a pipe in my mouth and wrapped my head in a towel and sat there until I stopped moving. You know. <laughs> That was the least fun. All of these were fun. That one was just kind of sad. You know that that was mean. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then we do the the reveal. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> they literally walk outside and suddenly they're thrown back into the bar. Mm-hmm. Now, I like the idea of because of this them being thrown into their own personal hell. Um which in a way the 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 sort of twist is very similar to the good place if you think about it mm-hmm. this is their own personal hell they can't seem to kill this man mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh i'm just trying to think of a way that we can keep them in that personal hell for the ending mm-hmm. because we can't I, I we can't just send them to jail they can't just go to jail and get the electric chair um they have to do something where maybe they're caught in the bar for eternity or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't think off the top of my head about what it should be. Um, so I do imagine a large part of the, the character arc for, for these guys over the course of the film is them getting increasingly frustrated with each other. Absolutely, As yeah. well as, as with Malloy. So I think perhaps after we, we go through a montage in the end of the film of their trial and sensation and then being put to death, um, that their personal hell is being in that bar together for eternity. Okay. Um, and there being a lot of means lying around for them to kill each other. Uh, and he just sort of sets them at each other's throats for all time. Maybe by telling them that, like, you know, one of you can, can earn your way out of it, but not really sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, by killing the other. I like that. And then the ending can literally just be like, he walks out of the bar, leaving them there. We follow shot. Or not we follow shot. We're in front of him, Mm -hmm. leaving the bar, shuts the door behind him, kind of just like buttons up his coat because it's winter, Mm -hmm. and walks down the street, and that's it. Yeah. Or like they have to... It's just this looping thing playing out over and over again of them... Uh, uh, one of them filling the role of Mike Malloy in this hell and being killed, and it's constantly looping and changing which one oh, of them over is. Over and over, over each and over. one of them has to play Malloy. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. And, and Jesus. Can't convince, yeah, and it's just they they play that out over and over and over again, <laughs> and it just keeps resetting. Oh man, I love it. Mm-hmm. That's great. So we we start off with you know them. In the bar, we're understanding why the bar is having issues and why it's, you know, dwindling and stuff. We're in mm-hmm. the height of um, prohibition there right now, right? Nineteen thirty-three. Um, I think that's the year they repeal it. Okay, so that's towards the, the very yeah. end, thirty-two to thirty-three. Let me yeah, double check. Um, so we have them, and maybe their whole thing is like because of prohibition, they're trying to make sure their speakeasy stays alive. They don't think it's going to get repealed. Yeah. December 5th, 1933, uh, prohibition is repealed. Okay. So the very end of the year. Um, so they kill, they, they want to kill him to get the, collect the insurance money so that they can keep the bar running. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, they don't have a means of making legal tender in yeah. order to keep the bar running. 
it's gonna cost a pretty penny to get a, like a legal license for the place. Yeah. yeah, there's gotta be a scene where like you know they're trying to find the money to pay for the insurance policies monthly and all that jazz, and and Kreisberg's character, you know, he starts selling like his son's toys or whatever, yeah. <laughs> like things that he can kind of keep keep the money up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of this intriguing take on these characters who are obviously evil and have no sense of moral right or wrong and just finding out because of that lack of morality that they are now for eternity stuck in this this war mm-hmm. between the four of them um i really like that i like that i like that twist at the end of having him become satan <laughs> cuz honestly i would kill to see Pierce Brosnan play Satan. <laughs> He'd be a good Lou. Uh, I'm sold on it. Um, that Again, this story kind of writes itself. We have an entire movie here, and we came up with a great ending. Um, we, got a, we got a beginning to showcase how it happens and kind of the failures and faults of these characters and falling down the rabbit hole of what they're doing and how terrible it is. Um, what title do we go with? Oh, I forgot to tell you my title. Oh, yeah. Uh, another Round. Another round. Okay. I like... What were yours? I had the murder trust, which won't work for the situation, I don't think. I had legal limit, and I had raise a glass, mm-hmm. which is very similar to another round. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... I think I'm good with another round, mm-hmm. because there's a good... Uh, there's a good double entendre to that. Mm-hmm. So I'm good with going with uh, another round as the title. I think we got it. I think we do because <laughs> that one came together quick. We're getting good at this. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, we're really having to like work to make the episodes full length at this point. We really are. <laughs> like we just did forty five minutes, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> All right, as long as we're at forty five, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, that was a great one. Uh, I'm excited to see what you bring me uh, for next time. Oh, I've got I've got an interesting one you, for you. You've got one ready? Mm-hmm. You want to give us a one-word hint? Um, I I don't think I can. No? Okay. It's, it's, it's a little too on the nose. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's fine. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Uh, to Meg Foley, thank you for uh, recommending this wacky article. Uh, we're glad we were able to do it. Remember, we do love doing listener articles uh, pitched. Uh, and if you guys do want to send us an article, please pitch us your film for that article as well. If you want to send us an email or a tweet, you know where to find us. Uh, WDYG podcast everywhere. Um, like, subscribe, review, share, comment, scream at your friends to listen. Do whatever yeah, you can. Yeah, please give us a share on whatever whatever social media platform you, you enjoy the most. Uh, yeah, we, we, we really want as many people as possible to hear these. Yeah, we are, we are linked up everywhere. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Stitcher. Um, Podbean is where we host, you know, We've said this every episode, but you know what we're talking about. Um, Thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed this wacky, crazy, true story that we uh, decided to pitch a little satanicism. Satanicism. Not Satanism. Satanicism. (laughs) Uh, Into it. I know words. I have the best words probably (laughs) of all time. Yeah, that's that's it. All right. So I've been Rob. I've been Nick. And that's what we got. What Do You Got is recorded live at the Cape Swoosh Studios in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Our theme song was written and performed by Trevor Campbell. 
Additional music is provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. And our wonderful logo was designed by Gabby Weiss. You can find her on Twitter at, at Gabby Weiss. 